In a world where some of the greatest motion pictures ever made are reaching their 30th anniversaries, one group of friends gathered together to pay tribute to these films. Pat Cantagallo. Jason Kao. Jeff Mazuka, Dennis Matouche. John Reed. Bo Warmbold. Each month, they've sworn to tackle two or three movies and remind us all why we fell in love with them in the first place. This year, we travel back in time to 1984 and 85. You're listening to the 30-something Movie Podcast. back for our next episode of the 30-something movies podcast and this time we are looking at 16 candles and the breakfast club um i am the, your host john reed and along with me today again are the co-hosts with some special guests you better tell them that we were all just dancing there we, just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we took a little dance break he said he missed it that, everybody was dancing that doesn't translate to the audience <laughs> The things with girls is <laughs> they can't hold the smokes. Okay. <laughs> so we can tell this is a favorite of everybody. <laughs> All right. So next up, we're going to do Breakfast Club, uh, and Breakfast Club came out February fifteenth. Uh, oh, a Valentine's movie. Um, February fifteenth, nineteen eighty-five. Um, and Emilio Estevez as Andy. Yeah, oddly enough, we had a student with the exact same name as that character. Um, Paul Gleason was uh, assistant principal Richard Vernon. Anthony Michael Hall was Brian. Uh, John Kapalos was Carl, the custodian. Judd Nelson was Bender. Molly Ringwald was Claire. And Ali Sheedy was Allison. Um, this movie had a very, very small budget of $1 million. Um, ended up making $51.5 million in the box office. Um, so that is a bonafide success, uh, and was rated R. Um, a couple real quick things about this one. Um, John Hughes wrote this script really quickly, I think. Um, in an interview, he said he did it over a weekend. He wanted to do just something very simple, um, just five kids in detention. He tried to pick the, the easiest possible setup that he could because um, he wanted it to be very, very much based on the characters. And then he told this funny story about how it almost originally got picked up and made into a movie. He really wanted to do Breakfast Club, and that was his movie he wanted to make. Um, Sixteen Candles was more popular with the studios, so it got picked up first. And then when they picked that up, they, he showed them Breakfast Club, and they said, <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll, we'll do that one too. So, but originally, um, when he wanted to get this movie made, uh, he had met or somehow met with a group of Canadian dentists who had a whole bunch of money. And they wanted to get into show business. So they were going to finance the film. And they had some demands on it that John Hughes was not really interested in trying to meet because he didn't want to lose control over the story that he had written. Originally, what they wanted was they had some actors that they wanted put into certain parts because they wanted this to somehow spin off into a TV series. So originally, they had Jimmy Walker, uh, JJ from Good Times, was going to be playing the part of Bender. <laughs> So imagine the movie. Wow. Yeah. That'd be dynamite. That would be. <laughs> yeah. So imagine the movie with Jimmy Walker as the part of Bender. Um, obviously, John Hughes didn't want to lose that kind of control, so he turned that down, and thankfully, it got picked up when 16 Candles was picked up. Um, also, originally, John Cusack was going to be uh, playing the part of Bender, but it, I think it was between him and Nicolas Cage for that part. And when 
John Cusack kind of showed up, and he was originally going to play the part of Bender, but then they kind of realized that John Cusack didn't look intimidating enough. So then kind of at the last minute, they switched it over to Judd Nelson. Especially if this is only a year after 16 Candles. Right, because you see him in 16 Candles, and you're like, wait a minute, one year from now, they want that guy to be Bender? I don't think so. Um, And then Molly Ringwald originally read for Allison's part, Mm -hmm. but they switched her. You know, that was the part that she wanted to play, but they ended up switching her because they just felt that she was a better fit for Claire. So, okay, so that is... And the features really quick with the Bender part... um, I watched the Blu-ray version of it, which is recently, it had how he got that role. Mm-hmm. He actually walked in um, when he was waiting out there, and they were almost going to call security, he said, because he was out there. He came as Bender. Like, he was mm-hmm. wearing, like, just just the whole get-up, pretty much, for the whole thing, and he was just in this mode of, like, troublemaker, almost, to a certain degree. And then he said, actually, as the doors for security opened up at the elevator, they said, next, and it was his time to go in. He's like, yes, and he got in right before security came, because he was kind of out there in the hall. And he went in there, and he said he just went all or nothing on it, and it was like, they're either going to hate this or they're going to like it, and they were like, here's Bender. And that was kind of how he ended up getting that role. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was that way, That's according to his story, yeah. John Nelson's. So with this one, uh, we'll go around again, and we'll talk about um, kind of what is your first experience watching this one. I think we kind of surveyed the group real quickly and found out that this one we had all seen. Um, nobody has just seen this one recently. It was... We saw this one as we were maybe a little bit younger, um, so we might have a different take on this one than 16 Candles. Um, but we'll go the other way around the table. And so what was your first experience watching this movie, coupled along with where do you fit this one in the pantheon of John Hughes movies? So I think, again, I was in junior high when I first saw it, but by high school, I remember I had a group of friends that it was like a Saturday night thing. We all had a sleepover, and watched Breakfast Club and Dazed and Confused every weekend, no doubt about it. Um, So I rank this as one of my favorites. I'd say tied for first with Ferris Bueller. Uh, I don't recall when I first saw this movie. I I know that I'd seen it prior to when I first saw 16 Candles, but I have no idea what my introduction to this movie was, where I first saw it. How I even heard of it? It might have been on TV, might have been on cable. I don't recall. Uh, in terms of rankability, um, I enjoy this movie quite a bit. I, it's definitely closer to the top of the list of, of John Hughes films. I think that this movie is very, almost kind of outside of what he what he was really doing with a lot of his films. Um, just the way it was constructed, the way it was written, and really the way that it was an open platform for the actors just to sort of improvise a lot of what they were doing and what they were saying to make it as authentic as possible. It doesn't seem like a lot, of, uh, very much of a, a John Hughes ideology for filmmaking, but it worked, I think, on, on so many levels that uh, you know, I just I really enjoy getting into the psyche of these of these characters and when they're all faced with the harsh reality of, of who they are as people, you know, it's a really interesting moment in the film, which, which we'll talk about later, but I enjoy this one uh, quite a bit. I, a little like you, I, I think I saw it on TV first, and I don't even know if I saw it all the way through. I think it was one of those, <clears throat> you catch bits and pieces, and so I don't know how old I was when I saw it all the way through, but I was old enough to remember thinking 
it was one of the first movies I'd ever seen that was a character study and had no... It had one basic location, a couple of hallways, but it was mostly all in one room. Um, so it was very character-driven, and it, I still to this day like character-driven drama. I, you, know, you know, a play that happens in one scene, but it's all about the character interactions and the words they use is still something I enjoy a lot of. But unfortunately, as I said earlier with 16 Candles, this movie doesn't do anything bad, but it slips a little because of the rest of John Hughes' library for me. It, it drops down below Ferris Bueller, probably Home Alone, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I mean, there's something about that movie. So it, it probably, it might even drop out of the top five, but I do, but it's hard for me to say that because I love the movie. But I think just what came after it was just so good. But it's, it's an excellent movie. Always stop and watch a little bit of it. I mean, this week we it was on ABC Family. This week I think we watched it Thursday night. I think. Yeah, we yeah. were clicking around. I'm like, well, look at that. We'll leave that on. <laughs> it's rough to see the unedited version though, or mean, the, the edited, edited version. version. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it takes a lot out. Well, it's funny too, thinking about how a movie like this is now being aired on a station that has the word family, family. Right. In, in the station title. You know, when, when you think about this movie, you definitely don't think, well, this is a, a fun film for the family to sit and watch together. Talk um, about how they you know, put the uh, cigarette on, on right. the forearm. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's well, just, it, when, when it's airing right after reruns of The Secret Life of the American Teenager, I think right. maybe it's the evolution of the ABC Family Network that is <laughs> trending right. towards Breakfast Club and, as and, opposed to the other way and around. And to be honest with you, I haven't, <laughs> I, I haven't seen it on, on uh, I haven't seen the edited version. Mm -hmm. I refuse to watch the edited version, actually, yeah. because I just think it's going to destroy and it, it does. What, you know, the, the quality of the film as a whole. That, that's a confirmed kill. But, you know, as I flip through channels, too, and I yeah. you know, see some of these movies yeah. pop up on ABC Family or a couple of these other channels, I'm like, wow. How'd they get away with showing this movie on a family stage? Uh, I, I like this movie a lot. Um, I, I, I didn't see it in high school. I, I think I saw it in, in college. That was on, It was on USA or something like that. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, you know, like, like Bo said, I like the fact that it is a character study. It, it reminded me a lot of 12 Angry Men, which is one of my favorite mm -hmm. movies, you know. And uh, uh, the fact that, 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 that it uh, didn't really... Uh, there's just various settings, you know, just the, the, the library and then, you know, a couple of hallways where they're running through and, and that's about it. So, um, yeah, it's a great, great flick. Uh, I remember, probably second to uh, Ferris Bueller. So. I remember just to jump in on that and, and kind of what both you and Bo said, um, that it's kind of funny to find out that this movie is now being done as like a high school play. Yeah. Um, I think it was, I, I was listening we, to an interview with Molly Ringwald. Oh yeah, I was just in an interview with Molly Ringwald, and she was, I think she was kind of laughing about that. She's like, "Yeah, I, I was. I just heard the other day that there was a high school somewhere that's doing this as their high school play, but it's perfect for that. It's exactly like like a Twelve Angry Men. It's you're in this one setting, it's in this one room, and that's pretty much. I mean, it's almost like you've put the camera on these people, you hit record, and you just let it keep recording until you run out of film, and that's it. Um, but yeah, so apparently there are some. Schools that have started doing this as their, you know, probably they have a, I'm sure, an edited version that they do, but, um, but they're doing this as their actual school play performance. That'd so, so Jeff, can we do this as the middle school play? <laughs> I think that next year we'll do uh, the Breakfast Club, Club Junior. Okay, Breakfast Club Junior. What's <laughs> You heard it here first. <laughs> well, they also have done it like, um, like I don't know if you've heard of Tony and Tina's wedding. There mm -hmm. was a thing, Awesome 80s Prom. 
and we did that for my sister's bachelorette party, and it was the Breakfast Club. Like, they had all the characters, and they stayed in character the entire time and came and mingled and talked to you, and you were at their prom. It was fantastic. That's cool. That's That's awesome. All right, Barry, I think I want us to go around that way just because (laughs) I want to see where, interesting to see where everybody stands on this. I think last the last time we did this, I felt like I was on the positive side for the most part of defending all these movies. Mm-hmm. This this time, I feel like there might be a uh, I might be the, the bad guy in this one. Um, You're the grumpy adult. No, <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, first off, I saw this probably first in my late teens, early twenties. I don't know exactly when it was in the edited version on TV. Okay, and I remember thinking, good movie. Nothing like, oh, I'm going to go out and buy the, you know, can I get this on DVD and mm-hmm. anything like that. But they, they didn't have DVDs back then. It came back into play later on yeah. when I was in my late 20s and I was teaching a personal well-being class over at, uh, at the junior high. And I remember thinking, based on the TV thing, we were talking about clicks and it was this kind of advanced health class type of thing. And I thought, that would be an awesome movie to show in this class. So I went and I got it, and I go, okay, well, I can't show this. <laughs> this is now the, the, uh, the DVD or VHS version of it. And I said, okay, well, these are parts that we could go. So at that point, I thought, excellent movie, great, to, you know, and, and I liked it, and it's very watchable. Um, I, I, it's one I could watch again. However, then seeing it just recently and watching it again, um, I still like it. I still think it's a good movie. However... I don't know if it's the, you know, you start analyzing and deconstructing movies. There's definitely some flaws I have with it. There's definitely some issues that it's like the first time was good, second time was great, third time, now I can start to see the the, the, the spots that I'm like, hmm. And and I think we'll probably get into that. You don't necessarily want me to get probably into that now. Um, but I did like the idea of the, the you know, the one room and... As, as somebody who's trying to write screenplays, it's interesting. You can almost tell when you said that was, it was he did 16 Candles, but really this was the first movie you wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes sense because when you're starting off and writing screenplays, you go, I don't have a big budget. I can't go fly all over the place. So you start thinking, 12 Angry Men, is all, you always come back to that movie. Like, how, how did that, you know, how do they do just one room? It's a great script. If you could write a great script and have one location, you cut down on budget costs. So I'm almost thinking as like he was thinking, like, this is his first movie. It had a very limited you know, expense to it. So a it's knife. a more makeable movie for somebody making their first movie. A, a knife gets stabbed on the table in both of those movies, too. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I think there might be even some, yeah, some paying some tribute to that to a certain degree, yeah. And even the, the beginning drops off where they're, they're kind of all, you know, and at the end of 12 Angry Men, they, they leave uh, the stairs, but in the beginning you have the little courtroom. But other than that, the rest of the movie is contained with those characters. So, so yeah, uh, that's when I saw it, um, those three times, those three occasions in... Thanks for that. All right. Uh, everyone kind of already took it. I, the only piece that I would add is that, you know, I saw bits and pieces as I got older on TV, and then it was like, wow, that's pretty good. I think I'll watch more. I'll watch more. And since then, I think I've, I think I've watched this movie about 10, 15, 20 times a year. I mean, anytime it's on TV, I'll rent it. You know, I'll pull up YouTube clips. I'll just be like, I need to watch. I need to get my fix of The Breakfast Club. My first experience with it was... Um, and this is going to be a John Hughes moment, we'd go visit the relatives, you know, and we'd move into someone's room and, you know, you'd be, you know, all the cousins would be camped out in someone's room and my one cousin had a Breakfast Club poster up there. And I just remember looking at it, like trying to pick out the characters and I don't know if they do that with movies anymore, but, you know, they have an actual, like, like a, not painted, but like an actual, like photo, like a pic from the movie where they're all just like sitting there staring at it. I was like, just trying to like pick out the characters and I mean... When it well, it came out in '85, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I was you know 
seven, eight years old and just kind of figuring it all out. That was my first experience with it. And my older cousin's always talking about the breakfast club. So I kind of had heard, oh, well, this scene happens or that, you know, I knew parts of it. And then as I started watching it, I just thought, oh my gosh, this is an awesome movie. Um, still, like I said, I watch it a, a whole bunch. Um, you know, the most recent being last night. Um, I checked it out. And as far as where it ranks, I, uh, I hate to be that guy, but I, I can't rank it because it's like, Okay, I, I put that at the top of the list. Oh, yeah, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay. Oh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Okay. But are you going to sit down and watch any of those movies if you're not in the mood for them? If I'm in the mood for Breakfast Club, I'm going to watch that. And that's kind of the, you know, the, the quote from Wolverine. It's the best it is at what it does. Okay, then you want to watch, like, Uncle Buck or Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. I, so I can't... Once we get into that high echelon of his movies, I, I, I just can't go one, two, three, four, five, because each one hits on a different chord and a different scene and a different, different genre, not, well, I guess genre. Um, mm -hmm. So, I, yeah, that's kind of my thing. Is, I'll, I'll, be the, I'll be the antithesis. I'll be, I'll be the, yeah, yeah, still, I'll be the cheerleader. I think no, it's no, probably I'm, still a top five. If right. I were to rank it, though, I honestly, and if we're going again, writing and directing and putting all of his movies in, not just the ones he directed, I would, prior to seeing, seeing it the third time, I would have probably had it ahead of some kind of wonderful. I think now I would put some kind of wonderful ahead of it. That's just, that's just again, and I'll explain some of the reasons why I think yeah. I had issues with it. But I take it back. I rank Mr. Mom higher. Mr. Mom. The Dennis Matouche story. Like yeah. <laughs> I wish. 10, 20, 10, 21, whatever it takes. <laughs> I love the Dennis. Um, well, I think the first time I saw this was probably about 10 years ago, so it would have been in college. Um, Right, well, okay, that shows how old I am. <laughs> Ten years ago was not college, it's after college. <laughs> Never mind. Okay, Bender. Never mind. <laughs> Ten years ago in college. Where's it going to be in five years? <laughs> Eight years of college down the drain. <laughs> um, so I go, okay, well, it would have been college, so it would have been more than ten years ago. Um, and then watching it again, you know, last week, um, I really, really like this movie. And I think I have to put it up there in the top of the list. Now, there are still several John Hughes movies that I have not seen in years or I've not seen the whole movie. Um, you know, you guys keep talking about planes, trains, automobiles. I haven't seen that. I don't think I've ever seen the entire movie. So I'm hearing these names of these movies, and I'm going, okay, I need to go back, and, and Bo is now scheming for, like, a movie night. Because um, <clears throat> he did. Yeah. So with, with that, I now have a whole bunch of these movies that I need to go back and rewatch. But at the same time, I'm like, well... Right now, this is kind of at the top of the list because, you know, I've watched it most recently, but I also, I just really like the whole character study, kind of what we've all said, is that it's just a good, basic, simple story. There's no, I'll say there's no bells and whistles. There's no, it's not flashy. It's just a good story, and it's all about the characters. And I love that he pretty much just set the camera up, started recording, and just let it go. And just let it keep going until the camera ran out of film. Um, you know, even beyond what they had rehearsed, what they had planned to say, what was in the script, he just told them what the character was going to be and just said, go do it. Um, and I think sometimes that's when you get the best work out of somebody is when you just let them flesh out the character. Um, so for me, I think I rank this up top. I mean, I, you know, Ferris Bueller, again, is probably one of my favorites, but this one is either going to be a close second or tied for first with that one. So... So one thing that we kind of had talked about with this one was if you watch this when you were younger, because this movie is you know, meant to be the 
kind of the high school kid um, talking about the issues that they have and interacting with their parents and adults and all that. And all the actors in this are, are very, very young. Now, we flip that because we are rewatching this movie years and years later. All the kids that are in this movie are now probably old enough to have kids that are this age. Um, and we are now older having seen this. So does this change the movie at all, having seen it maybe when you were younger and now seeing it when you would be the age of the assistant principal or the parents that are dropping their kids off for Saturday detention or something like that? Does that change the perspective of the movie for you? I think it has to. I think I think ultimately it does change that perspective. And I think another thing is the perspective you you when you were a young person, were you experiencing those kids? Were you one of them? I think is more important. Did I know kids like that? Yes, but I knew kids who didn't fit any of those stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And to me, I almost felt that it became too overdramatic and too stereotypical. And I know there were extreme cases that they were trying to show and portray, but I was like thinking that wasn't high school for me. Now, my wife, again, loves this movie. <laughs> she loves it. It's like we had we were talking for, oddly enough, my daughter, I have to admit, uh, just saw this movie. Mm -hmm. And um, with the you know with the language and everything in there, we knew, and, and my, my son was out of, out at a friend's you know, church thing. And so they all went out. So she stayed back, and she wanted her to see this going. She's going to high school next year. She needs to see this movie. Blah, 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 blah. You know, the world's not going to be puppy dogs and rainbows and, you know, and this whole thing. And she went into it. So I, I deferred this time, and I said, okay. And it was kind of interesting, my daughter's reaction on it, too, is she does not seem to experience that and see, like, this. She was like, it was like, okay, but it wasn't like, oh, you know. It, it was interesting the way the reactions were. Now, my wife knew and probably was some of those stereotypes, and she really, it's, it, it, she's so more emotional about it. So it was interesting, if you see yourself as one of those people or you really knew or really close to those people, that movie's going to mean so much more to you if you weren't and you had a different experience throughout high school. Uh, I mean, I can't define what's normal. I'm like, it doesn't seem to have the same punch. It doesn't have the same impact on you. It's a good movie. It's very well written. There's some great scenes. Even just like Ali Sheedy, the way that the cars pull off. Like the little beginnings, I love the openings were hers. They just kind of leave her and she's standing there, which was her, you know, they didn't really care. They don't really notice she's even there. You know, the dad gives him the speech at the end for the sport or when he's pulling off, like, you know, about the, the scholarship. I mean, it's definitely well done, but I think the emotional content that you, you put into it, it determined what your experiences were in high school as well. You bring up some interesting points with that, too, is that, no, it, you're right, it doesn't hit on... Everybody, on, on, on everybody's niche where they were in high school. I think what it does is it, it pulls those five biggest clicks out of high school. The jocks, the popular kids, the geeks, the, the, the burnouts, and then you have, you know, Ali Sheedy's character, the, the person that just... Outcast. Out, the, you know, just the social outcast. And then it builds these up as being huge caricatures mm -hmm. of these characters as well. So, I mean... It is a little tongue-in-cheek when, when you watch it. You have to accept that, um, you know, it, it's not going to be exactly what your high school experience was. But I think it's enough that you can, you know, and like you said, you can at least say, I know that guy. If, you, if you're not identifying personally with one of them, you can definitely identify them with someone that you knew when you were in high school. So you can still have somewhat of a connection to the movie in that way.
Mm-hmm. And, and Bo and Donna are still in high school. <laughs> and <that's laughs> they, they failed multiple times, so they're still yes. there. No, you guys, they, they work at a high school. So is this something that you guys still see? Like, do you still see these kind of Absolutely. groups and cliques? And I think that it evolves with time, like Ali Sheedy's character. Like, I, I see her more as, like, the... When I was in high school, it was gothic, but more like an emo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen the jock who's talking about his parents, you know, not necessarily making him, making them be violent to another kid, but, you know, pushing that sports are everything. You have to remember sports are everything. Like, and I, I think that I see somebody who'd fit into every one of those groups almost every day. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You, you see it in the hall in my... <laughs> My office now is in the, it's, well, this year it's the sophomore hallway. So, and my door is right next to the door to the room that our offices are in. So I hear some interesting conversations um, <laughs> as the day goes on. Um, yeah, you definitely see that. And you see it, you see it in the mornings when you walk through the hallways mm-hmm. because they're the, and you can walk by and you can name each one of the little huddles. Yep. Boom, 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 right down the line. Um but like you said, like you said, it, it it's evolved over time. I mean, you don't have the, you don't have that. The Bender character is the one that I think has evolved the most. Um, I don't know that we have that character. We have a softer version of him, or maybe a different version of him. He's the one I don't know if I pick out on a daily basis. I know they're there, and maybe that's just it. Maybe they're just not as visible as the rest of them. Maybe uh, it's because he is so unique. I mean, mm-hmm. how many benders can there be in a right. school? Right. That, that's the reason why everybody, so many people are drawn to that character because you've never seen anything like that mm-hmm. before. If there were a million benders, then you know, that's why you can't find that click. And yeah. I think that that was kind of part of, like, a point in the movie, too, is there wasn't, like, he didn't have, he was the loner, so he didn't have that click. Yeah, I remember that in the the scene where he starts talking about, you know, you don't know my friends, you don't look at my friends, you certainly can't talk to my friends. And I remember, you know, watching the movie thinking, what friends mm-hmm. would he have? Like, I just, I, I wasn't buying that from from the character. Like, I didn't think his character would have friends. Exactly, and I don't you know, think he and, did. And I, I think that that line there was just a defense mechanism for his character. But really, he, I don't, I don't think his character has any friends, anyone that he, and anyone that he relates to on the same level, which is just another, you know, a, a, a feather on the cap of the portrayal of the character in and of itself. Granted, you know, he was, uh, what, 25, 26 when, when they filmed the movie, but he was able to take some sort of life experience and really develop that Bender character, because watching, I watched it last night, and I remember thinking, like, this movie is really kind of about Bender. Like yeah, it's you know it's all five of these characters, but really like this is a lot about <coughs> how Bender is going to succeed in this in, in this high school culture. Well, and I might you might even say Bender. Well, all the characters evolve. He goes the farthest, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's a reason he's the last shot in the movie. I mean, yeah, John Hughes picked that for a reason, I would imagine. So. Well, it's funny actually. In an interview, John Hughes said that, and this kind of bridges our two movies that we've talked about. Um, John Hughes actually said that Anthony Michael Hall's character is meant to be kind of the hero of both movies. Now, it doesn't mean he's the main character, mm. but that he's kind of the, he's the one that you're rooting for. 
in both movies, and that's where, because John Hughes said he identified more with the geeky person, um, and so he kind of picked that out as that's the one character that's my hero for these two movies. That's interesting, because in, what struck me watching Breakfast Club last night is as they're walking out of the building, Anthony Michael Hall is leading the parade down the hallway as they pass Carl, but he's also the one guy who's not holding hands with a girl on his way out the right. door. So that's interesting that John Hughes would identify with the character leading the group out the door, but not one who got the girl. Like, if you're the guy writing the script... Well, it's usually... fiction, but it's not complete fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I, interesting I, I little tidbit. Um, do you guys know who played Brian's dad yeah. in the movie? John Hughes. John Hughes, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> I don't think I've realized Although that. he's not in the credits. No. No, he just picks him up. Because remember, when he's Brian, the guy who yeah. the car when Brian gets dropped off, it's his mom. Right. Yeah. But the that, guy who picks him up. Mom, that's his real mom and sister in the car. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, we, actually, awesome. we actually paused it, went back at the end. I said, rewind. I want to see the credits because they're seeing all the fathers, and they did not have John Hughes because I said that's John Hughes in the car. He, it it is on his IMDb page. But it's not on the actual movie. It's not But the movie. But I saw Brian as the hero. Practically again, again, it probably you probably come closer to who, maybe sometimes who you were, who you knew, or what you were closest to. But when I say as the hero, I don't think he's necessarily a hero, but as the more the character that I can more identify with. Although it was, I didn't have that academic pressure, I didn't have that that he had that pressure, anything like that. But at least to me, I felt like he was in some ways the most. If we want to categorize normal, you know, of the characters, I think he was the the less extreme. Of all the characters, who he does narrate the, the, the letter. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say that is the but one. I, when I, it's funny. I, I, saw, I saw him as more of a victim. Me too. All throughout, because he's the one that's manipulated yep. into writing the essay for all you know, of that. I, saw, I read this uh, something about like how he was proud of it. Yes, he got manipulated, but that was he his was redeeming. proud to be. It was his whole. But I, right, but I, I think it's a false sense of pride for his character. Like he might feel proud because oh, they've asked me to do this, but really, it's the popular, good-looking girl that's sort of mentioning him. You know, you're the smartest of all of us. You should be the one that that should do this. Yeah, I am the smartest. I, you know, See, maybe I am the this one is a good time this. to jump in why I had problems with the movie when I watched it the third time was mm -hmm. all these stereotypes that they're trying to attack and break down and, 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 and heal, all of a sudden at the end, what happens? Pretty girl makes the other girl look pretty. pretty yeah. Now, pretty girl gets noticed by the jock. You know, good girl goes for the bad guy. Nerd writes the paper and does all the work and no one else has to. So in the end, it played off with this weird romantic thing where everybody hooks up at the end, which I'm like, why did he make them hook up at the end? Why couldn't they just leave? So the yeah, ending I, of the movie is what made really me the third time around like, awkward, like especially start to especially lose Andy it. and um, like I felt how superficial was that? Oh, now that your hair is done up and now that you're yeah. this, now all of a sudden, oh look at you, you know, and and I felt like it did exactly what it didn't want to do. Like, the whole movie was to break down these stereotypes. Yet in the end... But maybe that is exactly what he wanted it to do, was no matter... Know. You know, they had that open discussion, and, you know, and I think Brian's the one that asked, what's going to happen on Monday? That's right. the best part of the movie. Exactly. And, Keeping and, it real. You know, can you know, can we function as this when we're amongst our groups come Monday morning? I heard that's the question asked most uh, to the actors. Uh, if they, if you see, you know, Judd Nelson, like, so what happened on Monday? You know, what, what, what was your take on it? And so that, that's what they're asking. Yeah, and, and I think by nature of the way the movie ends, John Hughes suggests, no. Well, they're exactly. not going to function like this close-knit group I come Monday morning. I saw that as morning. a goodbye. 
Like they all like had this connection and the end was goodbye because no, they weren't. And that was one of the things that I thought was really good with what John Hughes did with this movie is that it was very true and honest and hard because no, that is the reality is for most of the time is that they're not like, they're going to go back to their own little cliques and do their own little thing. So I, I saw it as a goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, just I, I don't I don't see them as I don't see any of them being a hero. I, I see them as coming close to understanding each other on a level that none of them anticipated. But by the end of the movie, they're right back to the roles that they know that they're supposed to be playing in their in their high school community. So and it's it's evident with Claire again really manipulating Brian into being the one to write the uh, write the essay for all of them on, on all of their behalf. Speaking of the roles that they're playing, which character do you identify with most? I would, I would probably identify with Brian most, not, and not because of academic reasons, but I think just his persona of, of you know, trying to do the right thing and being the good kid and you know, the, having the parents that are, you know, want the best for you and, and you know, that's what I identified with in that movie is I, I you know, both my parents are teachers. I grew up in that house where, you know, you, you know, you need to be successful. You can't be goofing around. You can't be making mistakes like this. This is the last time that this is going to happen. We're not doing this again. I had those same conversations with my parents when I was a kid. And I think just the, the, the growing up in the protected household is what I really identified with, with Brian the most out of, out of all the characters. I think at different times, I was different characters. Um, I think overall, when I think of high school, I would probably lump myself in as a combination of Andy and Brian. Because as, I did, for those of you who can't see the room we're in, over his shoulder he has his high school letterman jacket. I did jacket. bring my letterman jacket just, <laughs> so I, just for today. I just thought I'd point that out. <laughs> and it's... Those of you who can't see, it fits perfectly. <laughs> it's not it's not too that small at all. In a little uh -huh. uh -huh. <laughs> Shut up, you're not invited next time. Um, <laughs> um, but I think I think that I would have identified most with a combination of Andy and Brian because I did play sports, but I wasn't really a jock, quote fingers. Um, but at the same time I wasn't I mean I was good at school, but I also wasn't a nerd. So I think kind of a mixture of those two. That came later. Right. Yeah. That was, you know, just a couple of years after high school. And I Six think that... college. Right. <laughs> yeah, the eight years of college I spent. Um, but I think what... Uh, the, the funny part of it is I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking back, because I know I'm, I'm going to ask everybody this question about who do you identify most with. And I'm looking at these different characters and I'm thinking, okay, Andy and Brian, Andy and Brian, that would be me. But then I'm looking at Bender and I'm thinking back to, well, there were times where I was also a bender. So I, and I think that's part of the overall message, and we've kind of said a little bit of that, is that it's, you know, you're never, you're never just one of these characters. You are each of these characters at different times. Um, I remember in particular when we moved back, we had lived in England for a while. We moved back and we lived in Missouri for one year. I knew that I was going to be at this school for one year, one year only. That meant... You know, I might have friends, but I'm only going to be friends with them for a few months, um, and then I'm moving to Chicago, and then that's it. And I'm probably never going to see these people again. So for that one year, 
I was probably, and that was eighth grade. For one year in eighth grade, I was probably a bender. And then after that, when I came to Chicago and started high school here, I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to be here for four years. I'm going to be here at least four years. Um, you know, I'm going to know these people a little bit longer, so maybe I should kind of, you know, change my attitude a little bit. So from eighth grade, when I was a bender, I switched to kind of an Andy Bryan combination. So I, for me, I think that's kind of how it would have worked out, that at different times, I would have been a different one of these characters. Which is what, you know, it's good they, they go on to say in that final essay that's written. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just, we realize we're all a little bit of each other. That, that was, you know, that's the message that they got out of the day, was that, you know, they're not all as unique as they want to think they are because they all identified a little bit with different pressures and, and, and different uh, just influences, positive or negative, at home, being cared about too much, not being cared about at all. I don't, and, and that's another part of the brilliance of the movie is that it, it suggested that idea that in high school, you know, don't try so hard to identify with one particular group because you're going to have days where you're more this than that. The real world, the real world is not high school. It's, it, it's not? No. Right. I identify it's with it's, Carl. It's time you learn. <laughs> <laughs> See, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of figured that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a way, he was kind of the why the custodians mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he was like the most yeah. relaxed and groovy but, of um, all of them. Was he was like, the more hey, relaxed, but to me it was... I do my thing, I go home. Well, and that's, and that's funny, because you're supposed to be, these movies, I think as we said when we were talking about 16 Candles, you're supposed to be, it's the stupid adults that don't know anything, yeah. and yet... Carl is the smartest one of all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he's smarter than the other adults and he's yeah. smarter than the kids. And do you guys yeah. know who was supposed to play that role? Wasn't it um, Rick Moranis? Rick Moranis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, would have made that, that part a little different. <laughs> yeah, just a little. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Not bad different, just different. Like you know, the principles of When I'm done being the custodian and you know, you want to be wanna play Parcheesi? I got uh, Twister and <laughs> Okay, who brought the dog? Who brought the dog? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Barry, go ahead. No, I was just saying the, the principle, you know, is obviously an extreme against stereotype there. So that, I mean, I understand it's probably part of the movie is to pull the extreme stereotypes out there and put them all on the table. But I think you sometimes lose a little bit that way because it discredits, you know, some of that. I mean, that character was so over, like, I mean, are there principles probably like that? I'm sure, mm -hmm. you know, but I don't know. It, it, there's sometimes that... Uh, if you think about it, their detention, the adult punishment is what allowed them to reveal themselves to each other. And ironically, had that not been there, they wouldn't have come to their conclusion. That they but does it, so does that make that point in the movie that much greater because they're all of a sudden no longer, you know, these walking, talking caricatures, they're starting to just reveal who they are as individuals. And I, so I th for me, I think that makes that, you know, when they're all just sitting on the floor uh, going back and forth and asking questions of each other, I think that scene just becomes stronger because the the first part of the movie was so cookie cutter of this is going to be this person, this is going to be that person, and you know John Hughes allowed that because if I read correctly somewhere that scene was largely improvised. Mm -hmm. He's Which just said sit on the floor, and, sit on the floor, and, and, and I'm going to set up the camera, and you guys just do what you do. Um, so I think allowing them to break down the stereotypical boundaries really allowed the characters to become stronger, thus that part of the movie really taking on a certain depth that 
I don't know if that's exactly what he was going for, but it definitely came through that it was a very poignant movie part of the movie that then all that gets wrapped up by Brian asking, so what happens tomorrow? What happens Monday? And then that that part closes in on itself because it's no longer that depth. It's back to the reality of, of these stereotypes that we force ourselves to fit into. But coming back to who I really identify, I mean, when I say Carl, I mean, to a certain degree, it's like Brian or Carl, you know, like, I don't know if I completely identify with any one of those characters. And my wife will just say it's because I had, I had a weird upbringing or something like that. She'll just, like, attack it like that. Because I did not go to the public school. I went to an all-boys Catholic school. Oh. And that might explain a lot. <laughs> you know, when you went across the field was IHM, which was the all-girls Catholic school. Now they're co-ed. But at the time, it was separated, and you had uniforms, so you didn't see the gothic. You didn't see those elements of kids. Hmm. You know, you were kind of all there. My experience was of high school was such a positive one that that's actually why I wanted to go into teaching was because of the teachers and the experiences I had in high school. And while you saw kind of the the jock group a little bit, you saw, you know, those stuff, it was just these guys were on the basketball team or these guys were on this, so they, they tended to hang out. But I can say that throughout my experience, and my wife does not believe me to this day, I could feel like I could sit anywhere in that lunchroom at any table without any scrutiny. And I think that was such an awesome thing for that school. Now, <coughs> is that true of every kid there? Probably not. But all I can do is go by my experience mm-hmm. and my friends. And we felt like we were fairly normal working class Families, your parents wanted you to go there, and you know they're paying good money to send you here, and they want the best for you. And um, yeah, parents sometimes get on your nerves, but at the same time, you know you knew they were there to you know protect you and, and what's best for you. And you saw kids who were the rich Westchester boys, and they'd have their parties. You'd hear talks of that, but you weren't ever going to get. You know, you just you kind of like went through it, and it was a positive experience. I didn't have the way I looked at it yesterday. I I, I think I looked at that movie and I said, why is everybody so damn dramatic? You know, everybody, it seems so overly dramatic. Like, seriously, is that how high school was? Like, for me, that was not high school. It wasn't the big drama. And everybody seems so, you know, like all these. And, and again, do kids have that? Yes. But I would venture to say, at least in my experiences, that it was not the typical experience. That those are extreme cases, which then discredits the movie a little bit for me as far as my overall awesomeness of it or like thinking mm-hmm. it's awesome. If you ever want to come for a field trip, yeah, no, come join me in Libertyville for a day. Now teaching in a public school, I definitely see the difference. I clearly see the difference. You know, I mean, I'm not saying again it's a private school, public school, but you're exposing yourself to a, a larger, sorry, a larger um, uh, population. Where I had 180 kids in my class, well, or when you have 2,000 kids in a class or 1,000 kids, you're going to get more benders and you're going to get more of those to actually like form those groups that you could more visually see. Oh, absolutely. Where there probably was those in our school, but they went more unnoticed. I was I was actually overall... thinking of the dramatic, because I don't know oh, about... It's a drama now. <laughs> right. It is, it is very dramatic. <laughs> I'd like to hear about your character. Which one would, would you pick? Um, I think I, was, I would be like a combination of Allison and Bender. Um, I was a goth in high school, so there was a small group of us who were like that. And as the adult now, I know that, you know, a lot of that, I I went to Deerfield High School. So that was not of the norm. So I think I did a lot of things out of shock value. Um, but I was definitely a little rough around the edges. 
So, you know, I think that that's where Bender kind of comes into me a little bit. But, you know, I can definitely remember the the very clear groups of the the popular clique. And it was, everybody had their own clique. So, like, though I wasn't part of the popular clique, it, it's not like, you know, you're, you're by yourself. Like, you have your own little, but there's... There's definitely, there were the the cliques, and I, like I said, I see it still at Libertyville. Um, I don't think I see Bender. I was trying to think about that. I don't really think I see Bender, but the rest of them. Um, but I will say that the jocks surprise me today, like in, in at the school now. Um, the jocks seem to be friendlier now than what I saw them in high school. I think there's been a softening across the board. It sort of goes with the conversation we had about 16 Candles. It's a softer world 20, 30 years later. And so there's been some blurring of the lines between those cliques where I think they were harder. Well, you remember, because uh, for those listening, Bo and I went to the same high school. Um, and you, you probably remember this, too. Do you remember the one time that I think we were doing, was it Macbeth, as the school play? Yes. And a lot of the folks in the, a lot of the regular actor kids, the drama kids, um, they got really upset because a whole bunch of the football players went out for, like, I, they must have done it in English class, and they loved the play. So when they found out we were doing Macbeth, a bunch of the football players went out and got most of the major parts. And admittedly, knowing what I know now, the football players were heavily recruited because the drama boys couldn't lift a sword. Oh, okay. Which was part of the problem. <laughs> what, what are you trying to play? say about us drama kids? I'm just saying, you know, sure. a broadsword's a tough, tough deal. <laughs> and, and they wanted men to wield... But then, hey, <laughs> drama kids are men too, buddy. <laughs> hey guys. Oh, don't let him fool you. He was drama kid oh, too. I, they didn't cast me in the show. But I think what surprised everybody was that when that happened, the football players actually did a really nice job oh, with the parts. They were wonderful, and that kind of surprised everybody. They're like, "Oh, these guys can also act." So already, oh, yeah, you had I, kind of a, I think in real life you had blurring of the lines. Oh yeah, in and a I case think like that. it's like anything else. We, as we evolve as a society, you know, we were talking about racism in, in 16 Candles and how that wouldn't be allowed to be made today in that way because those lines are softer now and, and, and we are more tuned in to that. I think it's the same with the cliques. I think we're more tuned in to, I don't want to say we're more tuned into other people's feelings because that's not the right way to say it, but we're just more tuned in to the world around us. We're not sheltering ourselves. And it, it, as I'm as I'm saying this, it's is it is it part of the fact that we're a more connected society that we're now seeing more? I don't know. I, I'm just well, that could explain why we don't have benders because with zero tolerance and all kinds of other stuff in mm -hmm. schools, bender would be suspended right away. It's true. Well, or, uh, no, go ahead. No, please. I didn't mean it. I was thinking when you had mentioned the principal, I was thinking when I was watching it last night, is that, and this could be showing my age and whatnot, but is, could that have also been like, he was very overdramatic, but I also had the thought of, 
is that how principals were back like in the 70s like things were a lot things were a lot looser back then because he he, like he got right in in bender's face (laughs) right and and one of the really interesting and telling the kids you're gonna you're gonna be cracking skulls I mean, as a principal, you'd be fired right away if you. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, when you know, when he takes Bender to the the isolation closet. Right. And he, and well, he starts, yeah. you know, but he starts calling him out like, "Okay, come on, go, go ahead, hit me. hit me, right here, right here." And the and the look on Bender's face, like, all of a sudden the rebel, is is scared. Like like there's there's a fear on his face of what is this guy, I, where what what is actually happening here now? This you know, and I had the question too, like. You know, is, was this administration right? You know, I, in, in the seventies and eighties, there are there are stories that circulate around Libertyville High School of administrators who had a propensity for throwing the phones off of their desks when they would get in a lather while disciplining a student. And I think yes, I think there was a harder edge to discipline, and as we have learned the the psychology of of the benders of the world i think we've learned that sometimes that hard edge doesn't work um i was gonna say throwing phone off a desk any of you guys been in a band rehearsal with an old school band director i mean <laughs> batons. those those, batons. Batons. Right. Batons. those, those Full, entire I've, I've, entire <laughs> binders of music <laughs> off the mm-hmm. off the stand in the front i've had conductor just yeah. throw it wow. through the air oh yeah man things fly things get launched it yeah and it, it won't even be that you're behaving wrong it might be you played a wrong i mean that's you know <laughs> the and i mean i say that not really facetiously i mean that kind of was the reality of 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 of, of rehearsals uh, you guys know the book Lies My Teacher Told Me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure mm-hmm. social studies people in the room probably really. I'm I'm kind of reminded of that by watching this movie, and I think that you know I, I was waiting to hear if that question was going to come up. Is that what old school administration was like? What was the previous generation of what was portrayed in that in the Breakfast Club? It no. was it was uh, the previous generation fought in the Vietnam War. What was the previous generation from that? Uh, you know. You know, you possibly had some time, you know, in the 50s and the 60s, you know, and all that. But the previous generation, you go back far enough, well, then there's the Korean War, World War II, the Great Depression. This was almost like the first generation, and I might be way off sociologically speaking with the X generation or whatever. But this was like the first generation that kind of links up to what we have now. And I always wonder how much of that, that, did that generation grow up and just say, like, we can't do this anymore. And... You know, to compare that movie to Lies My Teacher Told Me, I think now, you know, administrators and teachers and every hit it from, they've read that book and that informs how they teach history. They've seen that movie and been in those experiences. I'm not going to say the movie caused this, but this is not, we can't educate like this. This isn't educating. And like someone said, you know, Bender being suspended, that's, you know, zero tolerance. And I, I could believe that, but my gosh, you show... Someone burned a cigarette in your arm? Oh my gosh, right, that's as, yeah. that's the parents are yeah. going to be, you know, and that's how it should be. Because, like you said, right. you know, he got right in his face, and that's kind of when I watched that movie. I'm just like, that guy was completely failing at his job, and you could just see it that you com- you did not reach that kid at all in one in, in one iota in one way, and and so it might be a softening of the lines, and it might be a, as things go. But I, I just think that generation grew up, and now they're you know maybe not our parents generate you know but you see what i'm saying they, they've got the kids now and it's like 
you know, now we need to move beyond this. Now we need to move beyond schools. I mean, how much do we have, you know, we have advisory periods. We have school-wide pride that, you know, you go walking into Vernon Hills High School. I mean, there's the sports awards. There's the math team awards. There's the music awards, mm-hmm. you know, going all the way. And, and, and it's let's, let's celebrate everything, not just, you know, one little, I, you know, one little piece. It's just kind of what I thought. So let's get to the fun part of this here. Um, what are your two favorite quotes or <laughs> moments from the movie? And I, I don't know, I think we commented before that sometimes 16 Candles, between the two movies, 16 Candles can sometimes seem a little more quotable because it's got, the, like Jason, you said, it's it's almost tailor-made for YouTube. Like, you can pick out those moments, those funny clips, and, you know, I mean, there's just a countless number of those. You've got the extreme, zany characters that are very quotable. This one I kind of found was not quite as quotable. Like, there are moments in this movie um, that I can remember, but individual quotes, like little things that... You know, you might use as a, you know, I mean, half the time we talk in movie quotes. And I don't know that I can find too much from this movie unless I want to call one of you a, what was it, a Neo Maxi Zoom Zoom DVD? Yeah. And and that just rolls off the tongue. First, can you describe the ruckus? (laughs) What what did the ruckus sound like? I'm sorry, can you describe the ruckus? There was a ruckus? Um, So my my two would be um, one is is kind of a, a. series of quotes, a conversation, when they're sitting there on the floor talking to each other. Um, it's when Andrew, they kind of come to this realization, and, and this is probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, um, and I like how, I, I think one of the characters I like best in this movie is Allison. And this scene in particular, um, when Andy kind of makes the comment, he's like, my God, are we going to be like our parents? Ever. It's unavoidable. It just happens. What happens? When you grow up, your heart dies. Who cares? I care. And that's like her character finally, you know, she'd been silent for a good portion of the first part of the movie, and finally this is her kind of letting everything out. My second one is lunchtime, like when they're pulling out everything from their lunches, and I just how Andy keeps it's almost like Santa's, you know, bag of presents. He's just like keeps pulling out right. like three sandwiches, three sandwich, two bag of chips, right? Milk, make your way for wrestling. Um, you know, right? And then the apple, the banana at the end. And I did. We did say earlier. I, I had almost thought to bring a loaf of bread, some pixie sticks, and some Captain Crunch, so we could all try. Uh, the Allison's Allison sandwich. Allison sandwich. But we do have sushi. Jason did bring sushi, so mm-hmm. we do have sushi. So Jason is our Claire. The ceilings are a little too high for it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, 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 I just got to say, like lunch meat, if it's fresh, I'm okay. But if it's been sitting like oh, for a while, like by the time it gets to lunch, it's like this isn't appealing. And that scene, I mean, I, I watched the Freddy Krueger movie. I didn't get grossed out. I watched everything. I didn't get grossed out. But when she goes and it sticks, it's just like. I'm done with cold cuts for the next month. I can't. I don't know why, but that one scene and the sound that when it hits the thing, I'm just like, ugh. I, that, yeah, that still uh, grosses me out. I don't know why. 
Uh, one of my favorite scenes is when Bender is crawling through the air ducts and he's mm -hmm. telling the story about the poodle and the naked yeah. woman. And I the, want to know and the, the end. I know. I want and the and end. This, I actually found out that yeah, he there, made that. There is um, no end. Yeah, okay. there's no punchline oh. to it. <laughs> well, to, the, so he, the punchline was supposed to be, I forgot my pencil. Yeah, because he comes back in this first thing Right, and that first thing he says when he comes down the stairs is, I forgot. That was supposed mm -hmm. to be the punchline. And the writers could not come up with a joke that had that as a punchline. <laughs> So he just sort of did it his and, own and thing. Like go, you can scour the, the internet to try to find the punchline for it, and some people have versions of it, but there is no actual punchline. But it's it's that I just cracked up every every time I see that. Yeah. My then, issue uh, with that scene is I've been in a lot of school ceilings, and I ain't gonna really? support him. Yeah. <laughs> I promise yeah. you. <laughs> is going on in here what was that ruckus what ruckus i was just in my office and i heard a ruckus could you describe the ruckus sir watch it just watch it um and then another scene i really liked was uh when allison is drawing the the picture and then she shakes the dandruff off <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. uh which i guess was parmesan cheese that they used for her hair oh so, that's, that's nice well, two quotes that stick out for me, and 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 they're both more one-liners, but and really it's the delivery. Uh, one of them is Bender when uh, they're talking about the ruckus and the door closing, and he just sits back and says, "Screws fall, screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place." I just like I'll audibly laugh every time I hear that. And the other one is is because it's so deadpan uh, when Bender and Brian are talking, and he says. Did your mom marry Mr. Rogers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just really just this straight line of yeah. no, Mr. Johnson. <laughs> like again, yeah. I just lose it because it's just so like I, it's so deadpan and so straight laced. Like, no, she married Mr. Johnson. Why? Why would that be confusing to you? What are we having? Uh, it's just your standard regular lunch, I guess. Milk. I can read. P, B, and J with the crusts cut off. Well, Brian, this is a very nutritious lunch. All the food groups are represented. Did your mom marry Mr. Rogers? Uh, no, Mr. Johnson. Oh. I, I don't know. I, I just think those two lines, just every time I crack up hysterically, as far as favorite point in the movie, favorite scene is definitely they're sitting on the floor and they're really peeling back the layers of their caricatures to reveal themselves. And Pat, I wanted to ask you um, if you honed in on the very low underscore during that scene. Like, it is a very, very low, constant note. 
as you know, just, and it might just add to the over dramatization of the moment. But I, it's I it, it's it's it like it's later. really like it lends itself to almost a a darker feel. And a certain, you know, the camera uh, pans right. The, the camera's too. kind of slowly panning yeah. around, and you've got this really. I don't think I know what Andy's, I know what Andy's telling his story. That's when they do the whole sweep all the way through yeah. people's faces. Right, and and, and again, you know, I, I my ear really caught the the, 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 the subtle the, the subtle underscore of, of just a really low tone that just sort of is there kind of you know in that jaw sort of way like it's yeah. just sort of low you think you hear it you're not sure if you hear it and it just adds another level of of seriousness mm -hmm. you know to to that moment i just i think the whole scene itself just works together so well i tortured this poor kid because i wanted him to think that i was cool He's always going off about, you know, when he was in school, all the wild things he used to do. And I got the feeling that he was disappointed that I never cut loose on anyone, right? So I'm, I'm sitting in the locker room, and I'm taping up my knee, and Larry's undressing a couple lockers down from me. He's kind of, he's kind of skinny, weak. And I started thinking about my father and his attitude about, about weakness. And the next thing I knew, I, I jumped on top of him and, and started wailing on him. And my friends, they just laughed and cheered me on. Yeah. Uh, because I wasn't sure if anyone else had heard Heard that note, but I wanted to ask you, you know, being the music, music teacher, you know, yeah. did you? I'll, I'll did, have to did check it out tonight. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that. I and maybe I'm making it up, but I swear to God, there's me, like me being a not serious person in that whole scene where they're sitting on the floor. What I would like to edit and add into that movie is the story from Gremlins about how her dad yeah. died in the chimney, uh, yeah. dressed oh. up as Santa Claus. <laughs> I think that would fit perfectly with everybody else's story. <laughs> I didn't notice the note, but what I did notice in this movie is we've. We've sort of followed John Hughes's evolution from 16 Candles to this is the soundtrack and the music in this movie is a marked improvement over 16 Candles, mm -hmm. which is hysterical when you realize he took you to a high school dance and you didn't walk away with anything memorable. But when you think of Don't Breakfast Club, what is the first it. thing? Like yeah. you hear that yeah. you hear that song and you think Breakfast Club. Yep. And I think it, it was a was a show of where John Hughes is going to go. If you think about some of his other movies, there's a recognizable song or a or, yeah. a, or a musical piece to most everything. Think about Home Alone. I mean, even he didn't direct that, but if you think about it, there are a couple songs that you will always associate with Home Alone. No. Yeah. Yeah. Hol um, Holiday Road and uh, in, uh, in Vacation. Yeah, exactly. You know, anytime, not that you hear that song all that no, often, but, but you when do, you do, your mind's going to go right to, you know, the station wagon. Uh huh. I'm going cross country. I'm going to throw this in. I forgot to mention it for 16 Candles, but you know when they met the. Uh, in, in 16 Candles, do you remember when they got the, the two families got together with the rice cr crispies mm -hmm. or the rice checks? Rice, or whatever? rice, rice checks. checks. Did you, when the dad was saying, yeah, I'm doing a little bit of this, a little bit of video game, did you hear the song playing underneath? No. no. It's the theme from The Godfather. Yeah. 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 And he was sitting there and he's like, yeah, I do a little bit of this, I do a little, I'm dabble in some politics just yeah. a little. I didn't and I was, catch that. I know like, that was, I didn't catch we're that. talking about the race, ra racial kind of overtones. Mm. I'm just like, that's hilarious. They're painting, and he was kind of, hey, bada bing. You know, like there was that <laughs> element in there, and they're playing The Godfather underneath when he's talking about all his businesses, and then he kind of hints at the ones that 
Yeah, that's what I do. But then I, I dabble in some politics. Personal loans with another one. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, personal loans. definitely yeah. likes to play with music. And it was very. So it wouldn't slight, surprise me if that note's there, and I just missed. Yeah. It. I mean, it, that would not. Yeah, me I mean, I would encourage everyone to go back to go that back scene and, and, and yeah. listen for it. Even if it's just to prove me wrong and say, dude, there is no note there. You don't even talk about it. But, but like, I, you know, I feel, I, I don't know, I swear I, I hear it there, and I just think it adds so much to that to that whole scene. You know, just, you know, just really focuses it, and you're really you know, just focused on the words that are being shared and the emotions that are being shared in that scene and all the characters breaking down because they're all just, the, you know, they all have this same struggle that, uh, they never realized was so common amongst the five of them. One of, one of my favorite moments when Bender, when they're standing at the locked gate, and Bender says, "Go," and then and he starts yeah. running, and the mm-hmm. principal's chasing him because mm-hmm. it's that's where Bender starts to realize that these people don't suck. Yeah, yeah. They may not be my friends, but they don't suck. And that's what they realize. And they realize he doesn't suck. That's that that's that huge transformational moment for his character, I think. I know there's been little things leading up to that, but that's the big one where it's like, okay, this is And not one of them stepped up and said, No, 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 I'll take it. I'm the jock, you know, they'll they'll be you know, I'm the prompt, you know, the nerd. I was looking for a pencil sharp. You know, none of them, they all just froze and he's just like I got this. And they, he, they did he bail him out him. earlier, though. Do you remember when there was the right. ruckus and they made some, they you know, they made yeah. the... Yeah. Yeah. Would, yeah. And which is another one of my favorite lines. Who would steal a screw, Mr. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And Screws then that, fall out all the time. The world's in a perfect place. Perfect place. <laughs> that goes to one of my quotables. I will sing the... I want to be an airborne ranger. <laughs> yeah, <she> will. <laughs> I will always remember that. Mm-hmm. I quote in class, I quote that movie all the time. And that's like, see, can I stand up, you know, for band? You know, everyone's like, no, you can't stand up. Well, why not? Because if you stand up, then you'll be standing up. Soon we'll all be standing up. and It'll be anarchy. It'll be anarchy. It'll be anarchy. And a couple kids will have seen that movie. Right. And they'll just be like, yeah. But then they're all just like, oh, oh okay. And they'll just go back to Andrew Clark. Get up here. Come on, front and center. Let's go. Hey, how come Andrew gets to get up? That's right. If he gets up... We'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. Okay, watch, watch the magazines. It's out of my hands. Yeah. I have not had one kid because I do the anarchy thing. Oh, do I'm, okay. I'm in a drop-in lab, so, like, they want to eat. And my big thing is, well, if I let you eat, then I have to right, let them right. eat. Nobody's picked up on it once. Yeah. It's kind of disappointing. <laughs> They're coming your way. Give you a couple more years. You got some, some 80s, like, kids <laughs> reboot coming back, you know. <laughs> right at home. <laughs> But then nope. for my favorite, oh, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. No, go, go. For my favorite part, I think, and I said it before, um, where they're all sitting around talking and Brian says what's going to happen on Monday. Because I do think that, like, that is, that is, I think it hits home to, to the audience really well, that this has been really great and we really shared something, but it's never going to be this way ever again. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think that that is such a pivotal point. The pressure of their friends once they're there yes. is too hard to deal with. You didn't mention your one quotable that no. I thought you would hit. It's not really mo- what most people will remember. I I have remembered 
Bender's whole scene of doing the Johnson home and then his home. <laughs> yeah. And whenever the movie comes on, I can do it pretty much verbatim. <laughs> she can, it's true. And that's not even the one I was thinking of. Oh. I can remember lots of things. Oh, yes. She'll parrot that back at me often. <laughs> one scene that stuck, stuck with me that would have only happened, my daughter's just under 20 months old, and would only have happened in the last 20 months, whether I think is, and it was a scene that uh, someone pointed out, and I mean, it's you all, what you bring to the table, and up until, like, I had my daughter, the scene where, you know, okay, so the beautiful girl makes the other girl beautiful, and then suddenly she becomes acceptable. For the first time last night, I watched that scene, and I thought, I didn't see it as that. Not to say that you did, I mean, everyone takes their own thing, but I saw it as, after seeing the dad drive off, or the parents drive off without even saying goodbye, did that girl ever have someone say at any point in your life, you're beautiful? Did she? And it, that and that was that stuck out of my head. I'm just like, I, well, know, and then it was just like, she does she, have that moment with Brian as she's walking right. back out in the library. Like he looks up and he stares at her, and she kind of gives him a look like, I'm gonna punch you in the head. <laughs> and then, but then, yes, he, but does. then he, then he just smiles at her. Yeah, and her response is something like, thank you. But where, but what, did that happen at any point when she was two, three, four, five, six, seven? It, when all these things were forming before she got, and that for the first time that hit me last night, and before I'd see that scene as okay, well they made her pretty, and but now I'm seeing it as oh my gosh, for the first time here's this, you know the the um, Claire, you know kind of did her up and actually said no, let's let's do this, don't always you know just try give this a shot, and Brian's reaction was, you know that was could that have possibly been the first time at. 16, 17 years old, she ever heard, you're beautiful. And I can't speak from a female perspective, but I can speak from a father's perspective. <laughs> That's your job with your daughter, and if not, you suck as a dad. I mean, you know, I, and so that, that kind of, that scene hit home in a different way last night. Not, you know, of course, everyone brings their own thing to it, mm -hmm. but anyways. Which makes you wonder, what does a teen get out of seeing this? Do they get all mm -hmm. the stuff that we're talking about? And if not, what's the... What's the benefit of so, them So, well, then what did much? Autumn, like, what were some of her reactions you know, we to, started, to the movie? We started going out with Jan and I back and forth afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> she was just like, let's watch something else. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the comment was, I know once I go to bed, you're going to keep talking about this movie. Um, she, she thought it was okay, but she, again, I think, thought that it was, like, just, like, very extreme and over dramatic. Like she doesn't recognize that even in kids mm -hmm. and stuff. She knows there's the quieter person. She's one of those people. There's, there's the. But she's, again, I think she she takes. We start to see through watching these movies that she's more like me, less like mom, in those areas. Again, my wife's you know upbringing and family, and she has some of those stereotypical things. I think sometimes in there of what she's seen and that she lived those. So it's more real to her and, I, and you can't discredit that. That's her experience. And what I was saying was my experience isn't that so you can't necessarily discredit that either because there is that population of people. Um, so it's, I, you know, I was going to talk to her more about it now and, mm -hmm. and see what she thinks about it today, the day after. But I know that with both, you know, with, with those, with so far she's been like, yeah, they're just okay. She hasn't been like, oh, this is a great class or anything like that. Compared to what I was saying before, when you watch she's movies, it's a big has a big impact on it. I, yeah. I think yeah. this is almost, uh, if I would have seen this in high school, I don't think I would have liked it as much as when I saw it in, in, in college. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we understand things a little bit more. And then now, when you're a little bit older and, and you have friends who quote it all the time and then, and then you, you watch it for the quotes, you know, and, and, and you kind of connect. Uh, now that we're teachers and we, we, we really like the Carl and the principal scene about, you know, 
um, uh, when when he was talking yeah. about like uh, this is what uh, this wasn't what you expected. Kids turned at me. Easy. And, yeah. It was going to be a summer really job, you know. Um, so I don't know. I think this might be a little bit too young for Autumn. Like if yeah. I would have seen it in eighth grade, I don't think I would have liked it as much because I wouldn't have yeah. understood right. uh, yeah. uh, what they were talking about, all the hardships that they went through too. Yeah. So. Real quick, my quote though, because then we say, one of them was the one you said, the Johnson quote. <laughs> um, the other one oh, that both my wife and I laughed, I don't know if it's good that she laughed, but it was the part, <laughs> it was the part, it was the part where he goes, he goes I make $31,000 a year and I'm home. I'm not going to let some lose it all over for some punk. And when he says, I make $31,000 and I'm home, I was just like, wow. Yeah, that hasn't changed. <laughs> I make $31,000 and I have a mortgage. Yeah, yeah. So I, that, I good. That's the last time you ever make me look bad in front of those kids. Do you hear me? I make $31,000 a year and I've got a home and I'm not about to throw it away on some punk like you. To, to some of Jason's comments, I think this movie sort of hits some of the same. You can it's it's approachable at a younger age, but some of the themes you're not going to get until you're older. It's sort of like I, I liken it to my high school experience with The Great Gatsby. Yeah. I read it my senior year of high school in a fiction class, and I loved it. So many of my friends that read it freshman year hated it. And I think it's because as a freshman, some of the themes and the points there aren't attainable or processable. And I think it's the same with this movie. If you, mm-hmm. Depending on when you see it, you process what you've seen differently. And some of the higher higher level concepts. Are yeah. Right. Are, so that begs to ask the question then, what is the benefit of the movie if it's dealing with these young people at this time, yet it can only be appreciated and effective when you're older, mm-hmm. so, maybe, so when so you need it, it's not effective. Is it, is it not is it about a, is it the look, kids? Well, is, it about is, it, is it a movie for is it a therapeutic look the adults? Back for adults to deal with what they went through? In high that's school? what I think. Or is it? Or is it? Look at look at this. Realize what you went through and saw, and don't do this to your kids. Be your that kids. evolution yeah. Yeah. that we were just talking about. That yeah. next generation yeah. of understanding adults and parents, as opposed to the parents that were portrayed in the movie. Because that, that quote that I had from Allison, then are you the adult when when she says it's unavoidable, it just mm-hmm. happens, what happens when you grow up, your heart dies? Is this movie supposed to be you sitting there as an adult going, no, it doesn't, I promise. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, because some people don't like that line. I was somebody mm-hmm. who, like, is, you start to get this kind of almost like hopeless feeling that, like, you know, with some John Hughes films that, you know, once you're an adult, life is just dead and over and you're this fool and... Mm-hmm who's out of touch with all children and all kids, and it was like, so I always wondered sometimes who he was speaking to um, through some of his films because of that. And, that, and that can rub some people the wrong way, going, that's, again, a stereotype of adults, that not all of us are like that. Mm-hmm. And that, for you to, to paint us all with that same brushstroke of we're out of touch, we don't understand our kids, um, we don't care. We've got to. You grow up and be an adult. You're. You're not. Your heart. But is, is he saying that, or is he saying be careful? Well, that's what I'm this. saying. Yeah. Yeah. This is more of a but right. Don't let. But this my point again is, how effective is it? Like, what is that when you see it as kids? Right. Are kids then able to dismiss the adults in their lives as you don't get me, you don't care? Does it help with that relationship, or could that be a? A wrench in there. And really, after talking about this, I really wish I could remember when I first was exposed to this movie. And I'm glad that I was old enough at the time to appreciate it on some level. That made me want to go back to it. And and now as an adult, continue to go back to it. Um, But I I wish I remember, you know, roughly 
just even roughly what age that was mm -hmm. that I cared enough to want to to view it again, because you know this discussion is really, you know, helping me see things that you know as much as I thought I was really reading between lines when I watched it last night. You know, there's still so much more there that that I just wasn't cluing in on. Is it, or is is the the third choice is the movie and the script that good that there's the component for us that says okay as an adult don't be that don't be the parents and the administration and the teachers that you're seeing but then as a kid if you see it in high school the message targeting you is everyone has a little bit of everything in them and and it's trying to to show you that 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 inclusive nature of of this group that scene where they're all sitting around is that everyone has a little to contribute and maybe that click that you walk by in the hallway that you don't pay attention to maybe you should the next day is the script that good that there's actually messages for everyone in there depending on when you see it well that's what i thought about when i was going to show it in my class what was mm -hmm. I, and i think the key scene too is that challenge of what's going to happen on monday mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and then that whole thing of just I felt that like it, maybe uh, it's tolerance. It's not that you're going to be Thank, the best friend the with that Thank person. You. It's not that you're going to be you know hanging out with the jocks now. But maybe you understand that everybody has their own issues. You don't know what someone's going, what's going on in someone's lives. Um, I think that was the reason I remember thinking as a teacher, oh, if I could bring elements of this film into my class, it would be really beneficial for what we're talking mm -hmm. about in this current time. Um, so there's definitely the redeeming elements of it, and you know. Is it an overrated movie? I think probably overwhelmingly at the table, people will probably say no, that it's worthy of that. I'm after the, I'd probably have to watch it again to get a conclusive, because like I said, I've got three different viewings in its entirety, and each one had a different point depending on where I was in my life. And, you know, like I said, to me, the, the overdramatic, to me, it's just I'm going like, and maybe it's because as a father, I'm thinking my daughter's about to go through high school. And I'm thinking, my experience was nothing like the one I saw in that movie. And I'm thinking, I almost want her to not think that it's going to be like all like that. Mm -hmm. You may see elements of these people, but it doesn't mean, because that can almost be pretty scary for a kid. Mm -hmm. You think of the, the anger that these kids, these, these people felt and the crying and the, some people say the overacting of Brian when he broke down and cries at the end and, you know, the whole thing. Um, his big sob scene, you know, not to mention... You can say the glorification of the pot smoking. You know, it was a big fun party. Yeah. They're dancing around like that, and 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 what are that could be for? Allison I think somebody like my daughter is very naive and very. You noticed that too. Mm -hmm. The what? Allison was the only one that yeah. didn't. She's yeah. just like, what are you all doing? You know. Yeah. So I don't, you know, so it's just interesting to think of it from. Uh, that's why I'm curious to see what her perspective too is. Is, is that make high school seem more scary about what you're to go into? Mm -hmm. It's going to be that crazy and that dramatic, or is it, you know, or is it see, just another movie? Or is it just another movie? See, yeah. And I mean, I don't know where we at with the questions and all that. And this might be the post discussion, but see, I also had a completely different experience in high school. Um, in many ways, was almost the end of me, and I started high school. You know, and I probably would fit into certain groups. And, you know, I obviously was involved in band. And, and you guys know from what you see, I mean, you, you, you're the music program. Suddenly you have 100 friends kind of thing and, and, and all that. And uh, by the end of high school, I had, uh, I, I would say, zero 
friends. Um, and so it's without making this podcast about me or any of that kind of stuff. Um, it's interesting because I almost want and, and Tammy and my mom and all that kind of pull me back from the edge. But I'm almost want to prepare Dominic and Danielle and just be like, be ready out there. Be ready out there. And for me, the one thing that really kept me going through was my family. So that was like the complete opposite of what they said. That was the one thing that kept me centered. And teachers was the one thing that kept me centered. And that's almost the, the message. Like when you said that, like, oh, is it going to scare them? Like, I want to give them a little bit of, you can trust your family, period. And that's kind of my, watch this, you know, just be very judgmental about who you accept into that final level of a friend or not and so it's funny when you say that mm -hmm. that that click for me it's like yeah i watched that movie and it is almost like a just be ready for this well it's funny because that's why my wife was pushing to let my daughter see this because she's like she's going to high school next year. she's got to be ready and like i said the whole rainbows puppy dogs you know it's like don't <laughs> the world's not full of that and she needs uh, she needs to, the kids are gonna be talking even and i go well but you know what the kid she hangs around with her right now and i know that all this can change but i just don't see her you know i kind of get a decent vibe on her personality and I said I don't see her hanging out with that type of stuff and, and and she'll be exposed to it but I think she'll distance herself from it you know and and a lot of it depends on the friends you hang out with again mm -hmm. you know you get involved in that group of my, which my wife did so she sees what she did and she's kind of like taking the same approach like you got it she's very more jaded and harder about this and, and seems to be like got to prepare for what's it's gonna be tough so then so out of the two movies that we watched or talked about today. We kind of talked about 16 Candles and, and where that ranks, and we talked about Breakfast Club and where that ranks. Do these films hold up 30 years, 30 plus years later? Why, why are they still talked about? Why are they still looked back on? I think is you know what we have to consider before we answer. Um, but you know if we go around the table to wrap this up, do these films hold up and, and provide some sort of authenticity or some sort of experience that make us want to go back and watch them again or are they start or are these films starting to lose some of their steam I don't know for I mean I don't know for because these are both you know high school movies I don't know for modern high school kids but looking back on it as I'm watching this and I'm projecting my own experience of high school onto it I'm looking back on it and going Okay, yeah, this is typical high school stuff. This is, you know, you've got your, your different your different cliques, your different groups. Um, you know, even some of the stuff, I'm, I'm thinking about it as being, you know, these movies came out in 84 and 85, and yet in 16 Candles, like the whole, you know, passing a note or giving your friend a, a, a personality <laughs> quiz, or not like a personality quiz, but like a you know, different kind of little paper quizzes that you made up yourself. And I'm like, you know, now. what's that? It's, right. all, it's, yeah, it's, it's all online now, but... Um, you know, I mean, that, that was still stuff that in, you know, when we were in high school, 10 years after, you know, 84 and 85, we're still doing that stuff. And I'm sure that they're still doing it in certain ways now. It's just it maybe a little bit more electronic and high tech. Chat but, and Instagram. Right. So, I mean, I think in that regard, the, the same situations maybe are still going on. I mean, you still have, you still have parties that kids are going to, and you still have, you know, the passing the notes and you still got all that stuff. So I think some of it may be just slightly different. But to me, looking back on my high school experience, I, to me, it still holds up. But it holds up for me as a way of helping me remember what high school was like in a little bit more, huh. you know, overly dramatic way. <laughs> Not that I was an overly dramatic kid in high school. 
But now as an adult, you do sit around and I, cry, I cry a lot. I cry a lot constantly, just like Brian did, sobs. Well, just keep your flare guns at home. And I will. I think that the, the core of these movies, yes, it does stand up. And I think that a kid watching it in high school now can still gain something and relate to both of them. Um, like John said, it's it's a little bit different just being 30 years out, but the basics are still there. Okay. I would agree with that, too. I, and I, I think there's more of an appeal to the adult in me to go back and watch these and, and to, to view them as an adult trying to recognize what the kids were going through in both of these movies as opposed to being a student and being a high schooler watching these movies. And I, you know, I think we, we definitely got onto something when we were talking about who are these movies really for? Are they for these high school kids that, that are being portrayed or do they serve as, as a cautionary tale for the, for the adults that can go back and watch these and you know, just make sure that you're staying in tune with, with what's really going on around you, what's really going on with, uh, you know, with, with young people that you encounter in your life. So I, I think on that level it definitely holds up and probably will continue to hold up. I think we, we talked about the themes earlier. I think the themes are all consistent. Um, the clicks are different. The, the the way in which the way in which young people communicate has changed, and I think that's part of the reason that some of it we look at and we go, "Oh, come on!" Um, there's no way that would ever happen. But you know, the Polaroid picture of the of the nerd with the the drunken prom queen just is an Instagram picture instead now. So I think it's all, I think they all hold up. I think they're solid enough movies that they can still be watched. Um, I don't think there's any, because they weren't glitzy special effects movies, I don't think anything in them, if you remade that movie today with the same script, I don't think you'd do anything differently, mm-hmm. except maybe edit the script a little for <laughs> 16 Candles, but that's not the point. Um, so yeah, I think they hold up and they're, they're still viable and enjoyable to watch. I think the issue of um, uh, kids and their parents dealing with that is still universal. You know, you're, uh, uh, teenagers, it's a tough time. And, uh, uh, you know, I felt a connection with Brian with all the pressure. Like when I was in high school, I, I felt like you have to get the A. Like the B's are unacceptable. You know, that's, that's the type of family that I lived in. And so uh, I did feel the connection there. And I, I think when kids nowadays watch Breakfast Club, they they do see a character that's like them, and so I think it does kind of transcend time. I think Noah in the first one, I think 16 Candles doesn't hold up as well. Um, I don't see whether it be current generation kids really getting involved in that movie, and just for me, again, it never did, so it's probably an unfair verdict, but I just, I don't think that one holds up as well. I think Breakfast Club definitely holds up. Just even, you know, her watching it, she was, she was involved in the movie, you know, even at a younger age, and I think it's got that effect where it's it's well done enough to where you are definitely engrossed to where this is going. Just like Twelve Angry Men, when at the end when you stop and think, I just watched a movie that took place pretty much in one room. It's hats off to that script. I mean, it kept you there. You, you say you're going to watch a movie where it only involves one location. Most people are, are out of there, but it kept you there. Um, I think that the the fact that Sixteen Candles was rated PG for whatever reason, and then this one was rated R. Also, to me, indicates when we ask the question, who is it for? If it's rated R, you're not really making a movie for kids. Mm-hmm. You're making a movie that only kids who are, you know, 17 with a guardian, which most... But if, if the R rating was available at the time of 16 Candles, 
what 16 candles have been rated R. Yeah, I don't know. I think it I was. I think it was available. I think the, those were at the time. At the time, PG-13. I believe PG-13 was available. Was available. Right. It would have been PG-13. Yeah. Oh, right, right. That, okay. And I think it was all language. The amount yeah. of F-bombs. And the nudity probably, but yeah. Well, but the nudity in, in but you still had other, 16 yeah. candles should... Yeah. Right. Theoretically, should have pushed it to R, R, but I think it was automatically the, R. I think it was the F bomb that yeah. pushed it into R. I think yeah. if you took the F bomb out, it'd be a PG movie. Take out my favorite line in the movie. That's the well. Movie. <laughs> I didn't say you should. No, I know. I get what you're saying. I, that was excellent but, delivery. But yeah, the whole you know, yeah. I, so, I, so I think who it's totally. for. I think Breakfast Club is definitely intended for older audiences to maybe look back and identify, and that's that's what I end up getting out of it. Again, and I think a lot of it's going to be again what your experience is. More, it ultimately comes down to that. You know, you're, you're going to hold it more close to your heart if you, if you identify with those those characters. If you don't, and you don't feel as connected to them, like any movie, you're not going to hold it as. You know, but it's a well done movie, and I think it holds up better. Yeah, Breakfast Club, I think holds up. I think the discussion and the light levels and facets of the discussion kind of prove that Breakfast Club holds up. Um, 16 Candles, like, like I said, I, I think it definitely holds up as, you know, the, the, the fairy tale set in, I'd say modern day, but the fairy tale set in the 80s, and I think that's what the people that liked it, liked about it, and the people that were kind of like, uh, didn't care so much about it. Like, I got over my, they bashed up a whole lot of cars. Was there any, like, did, was anyone <laughs> looking at it? Did any, well, but I'm missing the point of the movie. The point of the movie is the heartwarming story. And that's, um, and I think that definitely still holds up and I think that you know if if that's uh, male or female if that's what you're going for and that's what you're liking about it then I think you're going to still um, you'll still enjoy watching that movie so I think it yeah I think Grandpa was looking for his automobile that's right, <laughs> that's right. dong yeah. dong the clap well thank you guys and thank you Donna for coming and offering yes, the female perspective and the only one of us that has ever been to Jake Ryan's house thank you um, for allowing me to be part of this too. Um, and so next month we are going commando and it will be all movies that wow. feature sit down Pat <laughs> it will be all movies that feature Arnold Schwarzenegger yes. uh, April is Mr. Universe that month is the governor so, that's the governor uh, we are going to be doing Conan the Destroyer, Commando, and Red Sonia. Um, so if you join us back in one month, then we will take a look at those three movies, and we will see you then. Thanks again for joining us on the 30-something Movies podcast. Again, next month we'll be doing three Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, Commando, Conan the Destroyer, and Red Sonia. You can find the list of movies we're doing each month on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 30podcast. And we're also on Twitter, at 30podcast. Thanks again for joining us, and if you'd like to stick around, we have a few extra minutes of footage that didn't quite make it into the regular part of the episode. Side note, the quote at the beginning of the movie, the David Bowie. David Bowie. Bowie. You know why yeah. that was in there? No. Al- yeah. Al- yeah. Really? Ali Sheedy. Showed it to um, to Hughes and talked about that quote, and then all of a sudden she said the biggest, most proudest thing she was when she watched that movie. All of a sudden, it was right there, opening the, right there, the quote. Because that's another thing I never noticed until I watched it again last night, right. and it's a fantastic quote. And you, po- mm-hmm. you pointed out the jan- the custodian, yeah. just the man of the year, and yeah. I never yeah. picked up on that. Yeah, when, when they're what? doing like, the montage the at pictures. the beginning of the movie in the pictures of Carl's former students. Carl's in the pictures. He was like student of the year. Really? Yeah. And all of a sudden, here he is coming back, and he's the janitor of Janner. the school. Do you know what was really great? I, I heard about this. Uh, so that that Jeff Capello guy, he made a joke about 
uh, hey guys, you're young actors, don't go too hard or you'll have a heart attack, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just like Martin Sheen, I guess Martin Sheen yeah. uh, had it in Apocalypse Now. Yep. He didn't know that Milo Estevez was, was the son, and so <laughs> Milo Estevez was really mad at him for a while. Yeah. He felt wow. really bad about it, and so he for, for years. And, and he eventually went to like West Wing, you know, and he was on there, and, and he actually told Martin Sheen the story, and, and Martin Sheen was like, oh, don't worry about it, you know, and, and so he felt better afterwards, but he had no <laughs> yeah. idea. Yeah, he <laughs> carried that with him for years. Yeah. the guilt that he felt for sharing that story in front of Emilio. And by the way, now I feel like I need to go back and watch Home Alone because I think every one of you guys said something about Home Alone and I have missed something because I never enjoyed those movies at all. Well, either. the first one. The, the only the first one. Don't watch one. any of the series. Don't watch yeah, I never, two, three, and four are just not worth it. Two? Has potential no. after eleven o'clock at no, night. No, it doesn't. Oh, see, I think that's the will. slapstick stuff is great. It sends him down that. He ends up in New York in the same yeah. in the same constructed building of his house in the first movie. Yeah. Now this is a. You're asking. Wait, wait. We're this watching is a, a more movie, obscure. We're watching a movie written, where a kid got left home alone. Dutch? Right. Already mm. suspended great disbelief movie. a right. lot. Really Does anybody ever watch Dutch? That's a John Hughes film that most people don't know. That, yeah. And that, that one's yeah, a, that, a long time ago. Al Bundy's in it and the yeah, kid. That, that, no, one's, I, that I, one's a little I, bit more I dark, like, too. But I, I like, like that it. one. I like that one. It's a little bit dark, but again, it's that same coming-of-age story, rich, spoiled kid. That and uh, Curly family, Sue are kind of in the Step Van comes in and has to drive across country. And it's it's got its... It, a little bit of a plane train sort of feel okay. the journey across to get back home and, mm -hmm. but you're these two people who are kind of at odds and the kid doesn't like the stepdad and, and you're never going to be able to justify that movie See, and I, I like Dutch did you know they made I think four? that was Actually, my, that was from the last asking, like, which, the last podcast. He had, didn't you say like it, his parents didn't we let never him see a lot of movies? movies it uh, wasn't part of their family. See, I I grew up. My father grew up in an orphanage, so he was very strict. We couldn't have cable TV, yeah. no video Annie games. See, that changes a lot. <laughs> no, like you read a book or you went outside and played. No TV. You know, this thing hard knock life. Oh, <laughs> God, it's good. Those come out. So I tell you, it's hard but to grow up in a like that with the rest of the kids having all that. It's interesting to see, like, if your dad was a movie buff, if they went to movies. You know, his didn't, mine did. And it's like, so my, like, you don't, you're exposed to so many different. I think genres and characters and old time movies. Like I still have a place for old movies, but I'll still watch old black and white movies because mm -hmm. some are awesome and they're just great movies. And I never, you know, you don't think to do that now. Oh, I'm gonna go watch something from 1942. Right. See, I, I, oh, I like I'm playing catch up all the yeah. time. Yeah. Like I need to. Me. Catch well, for me, like I'm going back to what I remember seeing, and sometimes just sometimes those movies I watch them now and I go, eh, not as good, and some I go, wow, that was better than I when I saw it as a 